Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's so important to have stories that tell the truth about our shared history and how that's impacted the lives of Indigenous people for generations. This is the Third Coast Pocket Conference, where we push the boundaries of audio storytelling. I'm Isabel Vasquez. My only favor that I'd ask of you is that you take the time to actually go and mentor people who are just starting. Here, you'll find the most inspiring and critical conversations in audio from the Third Coast Conference and beyond. And I just want to invite you on this quest to like understand how to tell stories of Black joy. Over the next few months, we'll bring you all the sessions from the 2018 Third Coast Conference. These are the things that the most talented writers, producers, journalists, and artists urgently had to share with over 800 audiomakers. You'll go behind the scenes with the producers of some of this year's most captivating work. And each week, you'll find bonus content in Third Coast's producer news. To sign up, you can visit thirdcoastfestival.org and click on the newsletter button at the bottom of the page. We're starting this season of the Pocket Conference with the end, the closing party, which is the award ceremony for the Third Coast Richard H. Driehaus Foundation competition. Each year, Third Coast hosts this competition in search of the best audio documentaries from around the world. And this year, Third Coast staff listened to more than 400 hours of audio. From those, we and a panel of judges whittled them down to just 12 incredible winners. And on the last night of the conference, they got up on stage and delivered speeches that ignited the room. This award ceremony was truly special. It was hosted by Kathy Tu and Tobin Lowe of the podcast Nancy. Hello and welcome to the 2018 Third Coast Richard H. Treehouse Foundation Competition Awards. Oh my God. That is so many words. You got through it. We are your hosts for the evening. My name is Tobin Lowe. I'm Kathy too. Um, We just want to name it up top. I know what you're thinking. Tobin Lowe, Kathy too. Such public radio names. Uh, And to that I say, watch it, don't be racist. (laughs) The first award of the evening is for Best New Artist. This award recognizes the work of a producer who has been in the field for less than two years and has already shown an original voice and great sense of story. In other words, this is someone you're gonna be hearing from a lot in the coming years. This year's winning piece is a personal story by producer Phoebe Wang. who asks if queer people and homophobic Christians can have meaningful relationships. 
how beliefs are shaped by social contexts and how, despite what we might hope, these contexts could swing us to either side of the homophobic gay pride aisle. When I was 12, I had a sexy dream about Jessica Simpson. This came as a surprise for two reasons. One, I was a long-standing fan of Ashley Simpson, the chronically underrated younger sister. And two, I was a Jesus kid. When I was growing up, my parents ran Christian church services out of my dining room. On the wall, there was a sign that read, Christ is the head of this house. So when Jessica came to me in a dream, I was kind of nervous and began evaluating the situation. What just happened? I remembered my mom saying that Hurricane Katrina was caused by America's increased openness to gay marriage and the debauchery of Mardi Gras. Gayness isn't a thing, right? That gayness is a social construct. Sinful people just made it up. And I vowed to never tell anyone about Jessica. Everything's fine. This never happened. This is the... Oh, yeah. Applause, applause, applause. This is, if you can believe it, the first piece ever produced by the winner of this award, and it was for an episode of The Heart. Shout out to The Heart. The 2018 Best New Artist Award goes to Phoebe Wang for her story, God and the Games. And 12 days ago, I came across a job listing for the, so, for the assistant producer position at the heart. And at the end of this job listing, there was a note that read, quote, we are a queer trans woman POC forward organization and are specifically looking to hire someone who is part of the communities the show was founded to represent. So if you're a part of these communities, even if you don't think you have some of the skills on this list, please consider applying, end quote. So, Having zero audio experience, I decided to apply for the job. And even though it was a risk, Caitlin Prest from the heart. <laughs> Caitlin hired me for the position. She trained me and she was super duper patient with me when it took me like three hours to cut my first 30 second ad. <laughs> I, feel like it's, I feel like it's really important for me to share this because I feel like I'm the product of a really intentional hire of a person of color. And as we all know, it's no secret, we need a lot more people of color in this industry. <laughs> like, I remember the first time I heard about the Nancy podcast, I was like, oh my gosh, Tobin and Gabby, please don't fuck this up for every single Asian American here. <laughs> 
because at the time, I could count the number of Asian podcast hosts on one hand. And so even if I didn't want them to represent my experience, inevitably, somehow, they would. I, I think you're doing great. <laughs> but even then, I hear people say all the time that uh, we tried our best to find a person of color for our job opening. And we couldn't find one because not enough people of color applied or because they weren't qualified enough for the position. And I think that is total bullshit. <laughs> because what I hear when people say we tried our best, what I really hear is we chose to spend our time and our money on something that we decided was more important than hiring a person of color. And what I also hear is we're okay with alienating a massive group of listeners who don't have any space or emotional energy to hear from another straight white dude talking at them. And we're okay with having massive blind spots when we share stories about people of color. So if I could offer some suggestions. Don't wait for people to come to you. Go on the internet, recruit people, invite them to apply for your position, invite them to join your applicant pool. And don't just find a person of color that you're going to plug into your organization and expect them to act like a white person. And fit into the office structures that white people have built. I remember I was working at an organization a couple years ago that had all these diversity workshops. They said they wanted a, a staff of diverse backgrounds. And, and then when a new hire started signing off emails with good vibes instead of something like best or cheers or whatever, people started flipping out. <laughs> Be ready to take on the hard and unglamorous job of actually training and investing in someone. and find opportunities for them to advance in positions of power. My, my friend Chloe calls this like the gradient where there are like, you know, all the white people at the top of a ballot page for a, a show and then like a smattering of people of color in the middle and all the brown people are at the bottom. Or also like at Work It. I went last year and there was a point where 12 hiring managers went up on stage to offer jobs to talk about job openings at their companies, and only one of them was a person of color. So I think it should come as no shock at all that this industry is so white when there are so few people of color in actual positions of power. I also want to add that it's not enough to organize a panel about diversity if your entire organization is white and you've made little to no effort to actually diversify your board or your staff members. And it's not enough to have one show about people of color and think that you've done your social duty. And in fact, to exploit them for some sort of social currency. And then proceed to hire a zillion white dude hosts and white actors and white producers. It's really incredibly disappointing and sad to me that so much value is placed on credentials in this industry and so little value is placed on how those credentials are achieved. 
and the fact that not everybody has the privilege of being able to work at WNYC for $13 an hour as an intern. and still be able to eat and have a roof over their heads and go to doctor's appointments. I know that I absolutely could not have done that. And for the people who said that they couldn't find people of color to fill their job positions, Lakeidra Chavez, Arissa Afentaku, Jenny Casas, Aliyah Pabani, Jody Powell, James T. Green, Morgan Givens, Yasmin Maturin, Tanya English, Zakia Gibbons, Imani Mixon, Rona Akbari, Jordan Bailey, Nicole Kelly, Muj Zaidi, Kathy Tu, Cherry Griffin, Galilee Abdullah, Shakita Pascal, Anna Martin, Mitra Kaboli, Cher Vincent, Zuzu Sarhan, TK Matunda, Sharon Mashihi, Vera Lynn Williams, Daisy Rosario, Megan Tan, Timothy Lulai, Lee Manjitsu, Alex Lewis, Tobin Lowe, Hannah Kingsley Ma, Tracy Hunt, Angela Nee Nguyen, Ariana Martinez, TK Dutes, Oluwakemi Aladisui, Ariana Bidi, Thomas Liu, Abigail Bariola, Derek Toledo, Itzi Quintanilla, Sayar Cavedo, Julia Shu, Nigel Turner. that the most trained white audio producer will never have. If you email us at pocradiohires.gmail.com, a couple of us are managing an email address and we will send you contact information for people. And if you're a person of color and want to get on that list, also email us, please. So if you are committed to actually making the industry better, and you are actually hearing what I am saying, then I expect to see an email from you very soon. speech was fire. 
Yeah. Where are we even? Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. <laughs> I mean, so good. Okay. So our next award is actually a first-time award for this year. Uh, with so much great audio work being created as a limited series, the Third Coast staff felt compelled to create a brand new category. It's for a single story that uh, unfolds over multiple episodes. The winning submission for this award is about the search for a missing girl. Her disappearance is a mystery her family's been trying to unravel for decades after the young Cree girl was apprehended by child welfare workers in Saskatchewan, Canada in the 1970s. Now her siblings have united to find their missing sister. Like I said, we've been, we have some of the information oh. from your file. Well, it would be nice to have some sort of information. You know, as a sibling, you know, it's been 40 years. Yes. <laughs> and for 20 years, you've told me nothing. <laughs> I know. This is my sister. Bodies in the states, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sister? I do. Well, then maybe think about how I feel and really try your best. Because if you know she's not in Arkansas, then find a way to tell me where she is. Okay, that's what I'm gonna work on. Please. Okay. So I will call you by tomorrow at the latest to let you know where I'm at. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks for calling. Okay, thank you. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. So they do know, they're just not telling me. They know where she is. The very first Third Coast Best Serialized Story Award goes to writer and host Connie Walker, producers Marnie Luke and Jennifer Fowler, audio production by Mika Anderson and senior producer Heather Evans for Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo, from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Jennifer Fowler, one of the producers. Uh, this is such a thrill for all of us. Working on this story was an incredible privilege. And I think it's safe to say that for all of us as journalists, it was a highlight of our career. And it changed all of us as people. We would like to thank Cleo's family, the Semaginus family, who came to us and opened their hearts to us and were brave enough to allow us the gift of telling their story. And for that, we'll be incredibly grateful. And uh, a big shout out to producer Marnie Luke. Uh, she uh, co-created this season. She co-created the first season of Missing and Murdered. Uh, we wish she was here. Uh, she could not make it tonight. Uh, and just 
her incredible investigative skills really made the story. I don't want to uh, give anything away for those who haven't listened yet, but basically we wouldn't have an ending <laughs> if it wasn't for Marnie. Um, so um, again, just a big shout out to Marnie. We wanted to tell you a little bit about how this came about because uh, Finding Cleo is part two of a podcast series called Missing and Murdered, and it's about digging into the circumstances of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in Canada. And when we began what turned out to be season one, it was meant to be a two-minute news story. And uh, Connie and Marty went on a on a, a gathering mission in uh, Western Canada, and they kept phoning back and saying, well, we'd like to do one more interview. We'd like to do, oh, now we're on the trail of something else. And so they stayed only a week or so, but, but kept finding new threads to pull. And then they came back and Connie said, you know, I don't think this is a news story. I think this is a, uh, a podcast. And we in the news department hadn't done any kind of podcast before, particularly one that wasn't just a, a rebroadcast of a, of a news show. And so we kind of did it under the radar. We didn't know what we were doing, and, um, but Connie was pretty persistent. <laughs> and so uh, by accident, it became uh, uh, season one. And then um, we think, we hope, that uh, listeners find this a, a, what we have found it to be, which is a liberating way to tell a story that doesn't fit into a neat little format and that gives the people who, as uh, Jennifer says, trust us to tell their stories, it gives us room to let, let us respect their voices and tell their stories in ways that don't put limits and kind of rules around how they tell their stories and, and let their voices be heard in a respectful and dignified way. And um, so even though it came about all a bit by accident, we do thank CBC for supporting us through the season one and now season two and fingers crossed for season three. <laughs> um, I just also wanna say what an incredible honor and privilege it was um, to help tell this story and especially to be trusted by Cleo's siblings to also help tell their story. Um, uh, I'm a Cree journalist, I've been a journalist for 18 years, and this has been my dream, really, um, to tell stories from our communities uh, that I know to be important but haven't always been seen as important stories, and to center Indigenous experiences in those stories and to amplify Indigenous voices. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think that it's so important um, to uh, have stories that tell the truth about our shared history uh, in Canada and in the United States and how that's impacted the lives of Indigenous people for generations and how really, you know, to tell stories that also, you know, put our voices front and center and shine a light uh, on the col how colonialism and institutional racism continues to affect the lives of Indigenous people in both Canada and the United States. <laughs> Cleo died in the 1970s, but the truth is that what happened to her is still happening to Indigenous children. They're still being separated from their parents and their families and communities and ending up in the child welfare system. 
Indigenous women and girls are still disproportionately victims of violence in Canada and in the United States. These are incredibly important stories, but there are more stories to tell, and there's a lot more work to do. So thank you so much for all of your support. I really hope we can keep doing them. This next award is for Best News Feature. This category is for works up to 12 minutes that rely on strong reporting and documentary storytelling techniques to share timely news stories. The winning submission for this category tells the story of a single night at the Ryder Trauma Center at Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami-Dade County, where more than 850 kids were admitted for gunshot wounds over the last decade, and 90% survived. EMTs are wheeling a young man. He looks late teens, early 20s. They're wheeling him into the trauma bay DeRosa was just showing off. They have minutes to save him, and the clock starts now. Bags of replacement blood are already hanging from silver hooks in preparation for his arrival. A tense ballet of nurses, doctors, and techs swirls around him. Someone cuts off his clothes. Blood pools and gurgles around a couple of holes in his chest. The heater is on. DeRosa knows that while this is a normal part of the job for him, it's not normal. And then you go home to your kids, your wife and kids, and you're like, and you know, she asks you, hey, how was your day? You know, I, I, don't want to add, I don't want to tell her the truth. I just say, you know, it was good. It was fine. It was, it was a good shift. Can't say, oh, you know, I took care of a 13-month-old because, you know, there was a drive-by and his grandfather was holding him and he got shot in the head. The judges said that this submission does what the best public health reporting can do, show the human experience behind the numbers. With the sounds of the ER woven throughout the piece, the audience is never allowed to forget the ticking clock, the high stakes, and the people for whom this has all become routine. The 2018 Best News Feature goes to reporter Sammy Mack and editor Alicia Zuckerman for Overnight in the ER from WLRN News. thank you to two people I want to draw attention to in the audience. One is my husband who is allergic to limelight, but I have the microphone, and he is the purest human being you could ever hope to know. I love you, Scott. Um, and the other person is my editor, but I'm even luckier to call her my friend, Alicia Zuckerman. Um, She's the kind of person you want in your corner, and um, she taught me to use Pro Tools like almost 10 years ago, so thank you. Um, also, she's hiring, and Phoebe, I saw her take down your email address, so you guys should connect later. Yeah. Um, so I'm a health reporter, and I tell stories in a newsroom, and we frequently make our best work out of the worst circumstances. 
And that's not always the case, but it is frequently the case. Um, and this story is part of a 14-part series that we did about what happens when children survive getting shot at, which is a sentence that shouldn't even exist, but it does. And when my colleague Nadej Green and I first started working on this project, um, it was right after the death of a kid named King Carter, which I don't know if it made news outside of South Florida, but he was six years old and he got shot while he was going to buy candy. And he had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle themed funeral. And when Nadej and I started talking about how we were gonna tell stories about this problem and this thing plaguing our, our community, yeah. we thought we were gonna be telling stories about kids who died and the people that they left behind. Um, but then we started doing the research and I started looking around and there wasn't great data about what happens when kids get shot. But this particular hospital, which is a county hospital, worked really well with me and was like amazing about sharing their data and they ran a data query for me. And what we learned from what they came back with was that over the course of a 10 year period, more than 850 kids had survived. And if a kid made it to the ER, they had nine in 10 odds of surviving, which made me wonder and made all of us wonder what happens to the survivors? Because those were not stories that we heard. And what you just listened to is a piece of the answer to that question. It's sort of the beginning of that answer. And in the longer term, there are more questions. We don't know much, but we do know that the burden of trauma is incredible and unfair to a child, and that there is not a real meaningful safety net, and that there is not a real accounting, and that without that accounting, it's really hard to make good policy that helps these kids. And we kept asking, what happens to the survivors? And it is a question that we are still asking. Um, so earlier this year in February, a gunman pulled a fire alarm at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and within a matter of minutes killed 17 people and made more than 3,000 survivors out of students and teachers and staff who were working there. And our mandate as a newsroom is to keep asking the question, what happens to the survivors? Thank you. Um, and telling these stories is difficult and exhausting and intractably sad. But I live in South Florida. I am raising my children in South Florida. I was pregnant with my son the night that I was in that ER. This is my place and I need it to be better. Um, so to the Third Coast organizers, thank you for recognizing this. Thank you for giving it a second life and another set of ears. Um, and thank you also for creating a space where we can just get together and celebrate and talk about the joy of the craft um, because it's a really great opportunity to have that. And if there's anybody in the room who needs a little encouragement, and I know sometimes we all do, um, Find the thing that you need more of in the world, be it empathy or justice or beauty or whimsy, whatever that thing is, find it and make noise about it.
keep telling the stories, keep telling the art, because it all matters. Thank you. Okay, up next is the Radio Impact Award, which recognizes a single documentary or feature that has had a significant impact on an individual group or community. Since its founding 15 years ago, Tesla has become one of the most valuable car companies in the country, amassing a worth of tens of billions of dollars. But along the way, Tesla workers have been sliced by machinery, crushed by forklifts, burned in electrical explosions, and sprayed with molten metal. This winning submission found that the company prioritized production over safety and disregarded the warnings of its own safety staff. Also, upon hearing this story, former CEO Elon Musk headed to Twitter to call the news organization, quote, just some rich kids in Berkeley who took their political science professor too seriously. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. They have an associate with a cut on his wrist, and it's pretty deep. 911? He reported to the guard that his finger is uh, near falling off. Okay, where's the patient? Uh, we just have an associate up in our medical offices that they want to get to the hospital because he has chest pains and he's vomiting. Okay, 911 calls like that come pretty often from Tesla. In the second half of 2017, there were more than 50 calls. One of them was for an injured worker named Dennis Cruz after a small fire broke out on the assembly line. Is Dennis breathing normally? Or? He is having shortness of breath. I met Dennis at a park in Fremont a few weeks ago. Can, can we sit? Yeah, yeah, no, that's why I wanted to come over here. Dennis has dark hair and is built like an athlete. He used to be an amateur boxer, but he hasn't been the same since the accident. Do you get out of breath easily now? Um, it's hard for me to catch my breath. Three days after this story began airing, California's Workplace Safety Agency opened an investigation of Tesla. Meanwhile, Congressman Mark Desaunier called for an intensive full facility audit of Tesla and urged state lawmakers to strengthen regulations governing the recording of worker injuries. The 2018 Radio Impact Award goes to producers Will Evans and Alyssa John Perry, editor Taki Telenidis and Ziva Bronstetter for Hidden Problems of Silicon Valley, an episode of Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX in partnership with KQED. Accepting the award are Alyssa John Perry and Taki Telenidis. and I did, did not live in Berkeley and I lived in Oakland and I did not have a political science professor. I had a radio professor right here, Anna Sussman, though. Um, I'm just going to read off a list of thank yous. First, I'm going to thank KQED for paying for all those records from Cal OSHA and then bringing the partnership to Reveal. And then Queen of Kim at KQED, who said to me, you need to follow Tesla, because I had been just finding so many weird stories about them. And then also to the workers at the Fremont plant, the ones that spoke to us and felt brave enough to go, especially Dennis, 
Um, and then Ziva, who was the print editor, who was holding my hand, and Will Evans. Without Will, uh, he was extremely patient with me because I wanted to finish like two months into the investigation. And he was so dogged and I learned so much from him. He's such a badass reporter. And then Taki, of course, for being a wonderful radio editor and bringing our investigation to, to life through sound. And then cannot forget Elon Musk for all of the free publicity. <laughs> And Elon got his facts wrong. We're from Emeryville, not from Berkeley. Anyway, <laughs> thanks to Alyssa and the KQED for bringing the story uh, to reveal. It was a wonderful partnership, and that meant a lot to me to, uh, to work on it. Uh, a big shout out to Will Evans, who spent months working with you, making this into an airtight investigation. You know, we knew that there was going to be pushback and fight back, and there was. And, uh, you know, it was just airtight, thanks to your work. Um, yes, we ruffled feathers, but we're also pleased that uh, this led to some change, some positive change that will hopefully make a difference uh, for, for workers at Tesla and other places. Um, I should say that uh, Will uh, has continued reporting on Tesla since that first report, and uh, he has uncovered some stuff which makes uh, the first report tame in some ways. I mean, it's amazing what's going on there. We'll be rolling out that story uh, in the next few weeks, so I hope you'll tune in, and I hope Elon tunes in as well. We'll be hearing from him, I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks to uh, Third Coast for bringing us all together uh, and for a great festival and, uh, of course, for honoring our work. Thank you. All right. And now for the Director's Choice Award, which is chosen by Third Coast themselves, all the staff plus the competition interns argued this one out. This is the story of two lovers who share an intimate conversation on the eve of their breakup, exploring loneliness and intimacy. Estuvimos en la cama besando, obviamente. ¿Y qué más? Ese fue el día que me que me dijiste, ¿no? ¿Qué te di? De todo. Sí. ¿Recuerdas cómo me dijiste eso? Pues me estaba sintiendo mal, ¿no? Por haberte dicho eso y, y quería ser sincero. Quería que si, si era posible tener uh, una relación de amistad, porque the 2018 Director's Choice Award goes to producer Sayer Covedo for his piece, Espera, Wait, which did not air on a major podcast network. He shared it on YouTube. Hi. <laughs> um, 
Sorry, there are a lot of you. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. I love you too. Um, so I think before I do anything else, I'm going to just say some thank yous because it's the thing that's easiest to forget and the most important. Um, so I want to thank Third Coast for the award um, and for letting me present this during this uh, two sessions on Friday and Saturday. And thank you to the folks that came. And then. Um, and then thank you to Youth Radio, which was um, how I learned about audio in the first place. Uh, a special thanks to, to Brett Myers, who is a senior producer at Reveal Now and who is my mentor and friend. And to Nishat Kurwa as well. Um, and a thank you to my colleagues at Latino USA, who have been incredibly supportive and wonderful. And then, um, and then lastly, uh, to my mom, who's on FaceTime, but I think the connection might be getting interrupted right now. Sorry, mom, you'll see, you'll see it later. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you to my mom, who, who taught me about the strength of vulnerability um, and who's guided me through every heartbreak uh, and supported me in all of my work um, since she, you know, birthed me and all of that. So... <laughs> Um, and I'm probably forgetting people, um, so my bad, um, you know, I'll thank you later. Um, and then I'd like also to thank the other person who is um, part of the conversation in this piece. We haven't spoken in a long time, but I hope that you're happy and you're well wherever you are. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting more emotional than I thought I would. Um, <laughs> so the first time that uh, I came to this conference, I was 19 years old. That was six years ago. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't think I was actually. <laughs> so that was six years ago. I'm, <laughs> I'm 25 years old now, uh, which feels crazy to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was 19 years old, and um, I just remember being so intimidated by everyone in the room and just being like, what do I have to contribute to this industry? What do I have to contribute at all, you know, in comparison to all of these people who are so smart and so talented and so well-connected and so well-resourced? And, and I realize now that I have a lot. <laughs> I've, Um, but that's not something that I realized on my own. I gained that confidence because there were people, mentors and friends who, who, who lent me their time and their energy and who believed in, in the passion and the hunger that I had to create the work. And so the only thing that I have to say, my only favor that I'd ask of you is that you take the time to actually go and mentor and give back to other people who are just starting. Don't, don't, get, get, don't get caught up in the next project or the next title on your resume or the next big thing that you want to work on. Focus and help us. Help black people, brown people, queer people, gender non-conforming people, people with disabilities, people who didn't grow up listening to public radio like me. If you, if you think your job is to make the world a better place, and a more just place and a more humane place than help us because we're not 
the voiceless looking for a voice, where the voice is looking for a microphone. So if you have, if you have that power, if you have that power, please share it with us. Mentor us. Give us a chance and listen to us and teach us. And the last thing I want to end on is, um, is a poem that my mom... <laughs> Fuck, I'm going to cry again. <laughs> um, I want to end on a poem that feels incredibly important, not just today with the news that, we're, that we are receiving, um, but also in the time that we're living. It's a, a poem that my mom taught me. It's the first poem that I ever memorized. Um, it's a poem by Roque Dalton, who is one of the most famous poets from El Salvador. And it's a poem called Like You. And, and I'm going to try to recite it. I hope I remember it. And um, sorry, Mom, if I don't. Like you, I love love. Life, the sweet smell of things. The sky blue landscape of January days. And my blood boils up and I laugh through eyes that have known the buds of tears. I believe the world is beautiful and that poetry, like bread, is for everyone. And that my veins don't end in me, but in the unanimous blood of those who struggle for life, love, little things, landscape, and bread, the poetry of everyone. Thank you. We're going to move on to a fun award. This is Third Coast Skylarking Award, which recognizes stories that are out for fun. Credit to Ira Glass for urging Third Coast to create this award. He pointed out that these kinds of stories can require just as much craft and thought and cunning as the big important stuff. Radio would be duller and sadder without them. The winning submission follows an overweight man, technically obese, as he explains how the shape of his body and the diets he underwent in his life have often caused him to question his identity. It's a story that mixes humor with angst and everything in between. I made this recording a couple of years ago. I had just finished an interview with one of my closest friends and I left the recorder running as I usually do to catch some of those happy little sounds of family life. We had tea in the living room I made everyone laugh with a story about my dad introducing himself naked to a girl I was dating. And then my friend asked me to come upstairs to check something on the internet. I left the recorder in the living room, still running. When I listen back, I hear my friend's mother and sister laughing about my naked father's story. Her mother says, Que simpatico, he is so funny. And then she whispers, you should diet though, because it's too big for the staircase. <laughs> and then they laugh. The judges said that hearing a man talk this way about his body and his sensuality surprised them. They couldn't turn away. They also love his voice, the style. He's bold, he's honest. The 2018 Skylarking Award goes to producer Jonathan Zenti and editor Kathy Fitzgerald for the podcast Meet.
Yeah, so award-winning speech, draft seven, version, <laughs> version three, and it still sucks. <clears throat> I want to thank Phoebe for her speech before. First, I have a long list of thanks to deliver. Uh, some of them are mandatory. I cannot avoid them. Um, <clears throat> so first, I have to thank everyone who helped me to work on this piece, very complicated piece. For me, um, first, Katie Fitzgerald, who worked with me, with me on the script. She's just one of the best um, radio artists we have on the planet. And, uh, uh, she was able to make my boring everyday struggles with my diet a story um, that worked for other people. And so thanks to her. And then I have to thank my um, radio soulmate in Italy, Valentina, who um, sings the title track of the piece that I like so much. Uh, and another Valentina who works on the artwork of the podcast. Uh, and then I have to thank my two like literally two slices of my radio heart, uh, Katarina Smets and Eleanor McDowell. Um, we wrote down the first draft of um, the proposal we sent to Radiotopia Podcast, who was able to get to the final stage of the competition among 1,537 submissions, and still a crazy thing for me. And then uh, I have to thank also Ellen Salzman and Martin because they um, allowed me to record some, one of the first things they did in the amazing place where they recorded Answered Me This for so many years before they moved. Uh, it was a great honor for me that I was one of their big fans. Uh, then I have some biological thanks that I have, like, yeah. So my parents... Uh, for trying. <laughs> and for being distracted that night. Um, my grandma, who is so funny, and if tomorrow you're gonna be at the Logan Square uh, Theater, you're gonna have a taste of how funny she is. Um, and my, my sister for being better than I am, my little sister. So she learned the lesson and she used it for the better. Uh, and then I, the not biological families that I like a lot, they are my favorites. Um, <laughs> um, uh, my girlfriend Linda, the bravest person I know, not just because she's, she stays with me, but also for other things. <laughs> And the third coast family, um, everyone around there, behind here, and everyone who allowed us to have these beautiful days in the last days. And the international radio producer and radio makers and radio artists family. I promise not to mention any one of you because I don't want to spend the next month regretting all the ones that I missed. But you know who I'm talking about, and you should know that you are here on the stage with me right now. Yeah. 
And then the last two, the Radiotopia family. Um, first, the four finalists of podcast. And um, so, uh, Nigel, um, uh, Vivian, Adrian, uh, and Jericho. Um, it was an amazing experience, uh, podcast, and it, um, it uh, teached me so much about what I can do and what I can't do, especially. Uh, and thanks, uh, thanks to um, all the Radiotopia team we have to work with, especially Julie, Roman, um, and Carrie, and uh, Devia, and Lauren for being my coach, uh, coaches during the, the training. And podcast was a great thing. Radiotopia was searching for a new show, and instead of calling someone, they just open a call and they didn't know what they were doing, of course. And uh, yeah, they didn't know all the amount of proposals they were having. But I'm here on the stage. Another one is going to be here on the stage tonight. And this is one of the results of opening yourself to the unknown. And it's a great thing. And then the last family is the Hart family. Everyone that I met in the, in, in the last years of the Hart, um, but especially Mitra Kaboli and uh, Caitlin Prest. Yeah. It will take years for us to understand what you've done for radio in the last years. I grew up in a small village in northern east of Italy where the only two things that matters are how big and shiny the strawberries on the fields are coming every year, and how we can hate other people from other villages or other places. <laughs> <clears throat> and then I grew up in a very uh, right-wing city where that just a few days ago had, like, they, they wanted to say that abortion maybe is, like, it doesn't have to be allowed in our country. And I grew up and I didn't fit at all in that place. And I remember when I started listening to the radio I liked and I had the first decent internet connection and I started listening to um, sound portraits first and then radio diaries and then tried to listen to everything that I could all the time and then tried to experiment with my own style and all the things that I like. And um, yeah, I couldn't be here if I couldn't travel and um, if I couldn't discover. And the last time I checked, this uh, planet was a sphere. And so uh, I think that, yeah, any borders is just bullshit. Uh, so for me... <clears throat> so for me, yeah, this award is like... A uh, great honor, but also, but also a great fuck you to a lot of people. And I'm looking forward to tell them right on the face. And thanks to everyone. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. But first, you can learn more about Phoebe Wang's call to action and read a message from the organizers of the People of Color and Audio Directory by following Third Coast Festival on Medium. 
There you can also find out how to sign up to be part of this directory, and if you're an employer who'd like to access this directory for hiring purposes, you can always email pocradiohires at gmail.com. If you'd like to hear more of the winning stories, go to thirdcoastfestival.org, or you can listen to Best of the Best on our other podcast, ReSound. We'll be back with the rest of the award ceremony in just a minute. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And we're back with the rest of the 2018 Third Coast Awards Ceremony on the Pocket Conference. Okay, we are at just about the halfway point. I need everyone to shake out their shoulders a little bit because this next part is really exciting. All right. We've talked about these awards being the Oscars of radio, and what would an award show be without an in-memoriam video while a celebrity musician sings a sad song? Someone like, say, Sarah Bareilles? Everyone, please put your hands together for Sarah Bo- No, I'm kidding. She's not here. <laughs> she is not here. No. We tried. No, but... With that said, we would like to take a moment to say goodbye to what we lost this year in radio. disclaimer, I actually like that show, but I think I'm, yeah. All right, we have reached the best documentary categories. These are the pinnacle of documentary radio making from this past year. This is some of the best audio storytelling of the year. The winners of the 2018 Third Coast Richard H. Driehaus Foundation Competition Awards. It's a mouthful. Our next award is for best documentary foreign language. To have and to lose control, visibility and invisibility, severance and openings, everyday life, loss, and rain. This short documentary is a personal piece about chemotherapy. This year's winner is in Danish, so thank you to Radio Atlas for the beautifully subtitled video. Jeg kommer. 
Min mor har fundet en rød skål frem til mig. Det gjorde hun også altid, da jeg var lille, når jeg var syg og skulle kaste op. Nu passer hun mig igen. About this piece, the judges remarked that in these three minutes, three chapters, three generations, there are so many emotions. Loss, hope, comfort, and humor. The best documentary foreign language award goes to producer Nena Hauga Christensen for the piece Summer Rain on Danish Radio. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> well, it's such a great honor to be here. Um, I would like to thank all of you present here in the room. I'm very happy to be part of this wonderful, warm, inspiring international radio community. Um, and then I would like to thank a few people who are not here in the room present. Uh, my mother, who is present in the piece. My very close friend, Sunøve, who has been a tremendous emotional and creative support. And uh, especially I would like to thank my son, Ferdinand, who is, I feel, the catalyst of the piece, saying all that needs to be said. And when I made Summer Rain, I have never imagined that it would travel so far. Um, but I guess that's a wonder of sound, that it can travel into and beyond imagination. So, thanks a lot. All right, we are moving on to best documentary honorable mention category. And this year we have two honorable mentions It's usually just one, but the judges wanted both of these two next pieces to be among the winners. Sort of like at the Oscars when they gave best picture to two movies, except both of these winners are good. So it's like if we gave it to two moonlights. Our first honorable mention winner explores the process of restorative justice through a frank conversation about the difficult topic of sex trafficking. In this episode, Sarah Cruzon, who was formerly incarcerated, and Louis A. Scott, who is currently incarcerated, share their experience of being in the life, and then talk directly with each other about their past and current realities. When we're adults, we make choices. We all make choices. I made a choice to do what I did. It took me coming to prison with 229 years to life to get my head on my shoulders. Why? 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 Why did it take for you to come to prison? Why did it Why take weren't to you able to do that out there? Because in my mind, mm -hmm. I was doing everything the right way. Right. In my mind, I truly believed in that cause. I truly did. Why? Because it was what I grew up believing in. So you're rooted in what? Well, bullshit. You think it's a, a choice? There's still a lot of opportunity to explore why. Why? It's your why. 
I know my why. The first of tonight's awards for best documentary honorable mention goes to producers Nigel Poor and Erlon Woods with Pat Masidi Miller, story editor Curtis Fox, executive producer Julie Shapiro, scoring by David Jassy with contributions from Antoine Williams for the Ear Hustle episode, Dirty Water from PRX's Radiotopia. Recording so I can bring this home to Erlon. Yeah. Okay. Yes, Erlon, Mr. Erlon Woods. Um, three years ago was my first Third Coast conference, and I came here by myself because my co host and partner, Erlon Woods, is incarcerated at San Quentin Prison and he can't travel. And uh, at that point, we hadn't made a podcast yet. We didn't know what we were doing, but we knew that we wanted to work together to tell different kinds of stories about life inside prison. And luckily, we weren't completely alone because at that time, we were also finalists uh, for the Radiotopia PodQuest, which meant that we were fortunate enough to meet the amazing and truly fearless and tireless, one-of-a-kind Julie Shapiro. <laughs> Yeah, she, she deserves that and more. And in 2016, our fortune continued because we actually won the PodQuest and became part of the Radiotopia family. And now we're deep into season three and doing something that most people thought was impossible, which is to produce a podcast uh, completely inside a prison. And it's not easy, and there's no reason why any of it should work. But it does, and I think it works because it's a beautiful, beautiful collective of inside and outside people working together as professional colleagues, all bringing their voices and talent to the table. And that allows us to tell stories about life in prison that are surprising and emotional and often very funny and sometimes incredibly difficult. But no matter what the subject is, our goal is to show people in, in their complexities. The episode Dirty Water was one of the really difficult ones because the subject is sex trafficking. And it was the first time a woman and a victim slash survivor and someone from the outside came in to be an essential part of one of our stories. And as, as um, they said, the story revolves around two people, Sarah Cruzan, who was trafficked at a very young age, and L.A., who's currently serving a 200-year sentence for trafficking. And we sat them down across from each other, and what followed was an incredibly frank conversation about their past and present experiences and how they viewed people who had been trafficked and those who trafficked them. And everyone involved in making it was so incredibly affected by Sarah. She's an incredible woman, and her story deserves way more attention than I can give her at this moment. But if you have the opportunity, I really hope that, that you'll take the time to listen to her. 
Um, as I said, uh, Ear Hustle is a beautiful collaboration, and I want to I want to thank some people. First of all, Julie Shapiro for being our executive producer. Our yes. <laughs> our mentor, our solid base, and a dear, dear friend. And Pat Masidi-Miller for coming on board to help produce the show. And working tirelessly and, and educating and, and working so closely and beautifully and um, selflessly, I would say, um, helping the musicians inside learn actually how to be sound designers. And, I thank God all the time that he's come on board and we actually get to work on this together because as you can imagine, working inside a prison is hard to put into words. <laughs> um, huge gratitude to our editor, Curtis Fox, who can't be here tonight, unfortunately. Curtis uh, Fox. Curtis Fox, yes. It, it's amazing to work with him and to um, be exposed to the pleasures of editing and rewriting and having five-hour conversations on the phone with him. Um, <laughs> thank you. And Aaron Wade, who's our digital producer and helps to make everything so much easier. <laughs> and Radiotopia and PRX for taking a chance on us. And um, they really did. I think it's, it's quite incredible because none of us knew how hard this was going to be or if we were ever going to be able to pull this off. And it's a partnership we value and don't take for granted. And big thanks to Carrie Hoffman. And also huge thanks to Third Coast for this acknowledgement and award. And I have to say I fell in love with Third Coast um, the first year I attended. And that love and admiration for the work you all do is boundless. And um, you know, we are still very new to this world, and I think I can speak for Erlan and myself when I say I can't believe our good fortune to be part of it. Although I realize I'm not really part of it because I didn't get the joke about in memoriam at, at all. <laughs> so somebody can explain that to me. Your <laughs> uh, hustle, as I said, is a partnership, and it's really hard to be here accepting this award without my co-host and co-creator Erlan, but his voice and his spirit are always close to me. And actually what I say is true. Erlan is always close and present. In fact, um, he put a message together um, that he wanted me to share with you all. So here's, here's Erlan. Hello, I'm Erlan Woods, and I'm the co-host and co-producer of Ear Hustle. Sadly, I can't be there with my co-host, Nigel Poor, because I'm kind of stuck in this gated community. But I wanted to say hello to all you third coasters and give you a behind the scenes tour of where we were. That is Antoine Williams over there. Hello. And that is David Jazzy over there. And right there is the guy who was in the story, LA. This is where we were. Uh, so next time you hear one of our episodes, think about this because this is where we do it all. So I wanna say, Thank you to our executive producer, Julie Shapiro, and the Radiotopia family. And I want to say, enjoy yourselves, Nigel Poor and Pavan C.D. Miller, but I got to get back to work. All right, y'all have a good one. This is Lieutenant Sam Robinson at San Quentin State Prison. On behalf of the warden of San Quentin State Prison and uh, CDCR, I approve this award. <laughs> Thank you.
Uh, I'm about to echo some things, but it's a real privilege to be up here saying, um, talking to you all. It's uh, surreal, it's thrilling to be on, on this side of the evening. Uh, for so many years, people have told me how honored they feel to accept a Third Coast Award, and now it, it's a great privilege to um, say that back to Johanna, my audio adventuring partner in crime for so long, and Maya, and Gwen, and Emily, and Isabel, and the new team, and just to be here in front of you all celebrating what Third Coast is all about, really, community, and recognition, and support, and substance, and here we all are together. Um, since winning Radiotopia's PodQuest back in 2016, Ear Hustle has come so far and taught all of us so much. Um, at the start, it really seemed improbable, nearly impossible, but now I can't imagine this show not existing in our lives. So on behalf of Radiotopia and PRX and all of the support staff at PRX who support me in supporting the show, I'm so proud of the team. Uh, co-creators, co-producers, uh, dear friends at this point, Nigel and Erlan, who started this show with an unwavering artistic vision for it, and who, indubitably, as Erlan would say, continue to outdo themselves week after week, episode after episode. Um, and thanks to the rest of our small but mighty staff that I am so lucky to work with, outside um, editor Curtis Fox, uh, Aaron Wade, digital producer, Pat, who comes in. Um, of course, Antoine and David Jassy on the inside. Lieutenant Sam Robinson. All of the guys who have shared their stories across all of the episodes. And of course, Sarah Cruzan in LA for so generously sharing their stories for this particular episode, Dirty Water. Um, lastly, and importantly, this show has taught me so much about the impact that our work can have in the world. I really want to thank all of the listeners out there from around the world who've taken the time to engage and respond and take this to a new level that I've never witnessed before. Uh, thousands and thousands of personal stories shared by email and photographs and tweets and postcards demonstrating the impact this show is having from educators who are teaching this show in their classrooms from middle school to graduate programs to formerly incarcerated people who hear their stories in episode after episode, to the mothers and fathers and sons and brothers and wives and daughters and aunts and uncles and family and friend of currently incarcerated people who tell us that these stories are helping them understand those experiences a bit more. Um, the impact is very real. This show has taught me so much about how not just the value, but the necessity of taking risk and dreaming big and pushing all of the parameters and trusting the unknown. The work that we do, all of us in this room, all of the amazing winners tonight, all of you out there, it matters. It matters more in this fucked up world we're living in now, more than ever. Our work is hard and it is essential onward. Thank you so much. Thank you all. Uh, I'm going to keep this brief, but I wanted to send a couple special shout outs to Erlon Woods, David Jossie, Antoine Williams, all the men incarcerated inside of San Quentin, the education department, all the guys in the media lab, San Quentin News, uh, public information officer Sam Robinson, 
and all of the people in prisons inside of uh, California and the millions across America, and um, also to the journalists and publications that help support this show and get the stories out to reach more ears. I hope there's more podcasts in prisons everywhere. And to that, I say thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to ask to just do one last thing. Um, is, that is just to make a little video of the audience for Erlon. Um, so... Our next honorable mention winner, uh, the American-led battle against the Islamic State has been hailed as the most precise air campaign in history. But its airstrikes have killed far more Iraqi civilians than anyone has acknowledged. Basim Razo, a resident of ISIS-occupied Mosul, lost his family and his home in one of these airstrikes. Video of the strikes show a target hit with military precision. Why was Mr. Razo's home targeted? And how often does this happen? U.S. military officials have repeatedly said that this is the most precise air campaign in U.S. military history. And it says it's killed tens of thousands of ISIS fighters. Their estimates are between 50 and 70,000 mm. in Iraq and Syria. And in Iraq, only 466 civilians. That's a ratio of 0.6% of strikes, less than 1% resulting in civilian deaths. That is remarkably precise. Exactly. But Bossom's family members were part of those very few civilians killed by the American air war. That they counted? No. His wife, Mayada, his daughter, Tuka, his brother, Mohanad, and his nephew, Najib. They were tallied in that column of ISIS fighters. That is when I decided that uh, I need to get justice. And I need to get answers to why, why they did this to me. The judges said this piece is an intense, heavy, hard-hitting piece about American military malpractice against ISIS. The interplay between the personal story and the high-stakes investigative approach is extraordinary. The second of tonight's awards for Best Documentary Honorable Mention goes to producer Annie Brown, reporter Asma Khan, editor Lisa Tobin for Uncounted Civilian Casualties in Iraq, an episode of The Daily from the New York Times. So thank you. Um, on September 20th, 2015, Bassem Razo woke up in his home in Mosul, and he could see the stars through the, the roof. 
and he turned to his left where his wife had been laying, and there was a pile of rubble. And it was an airstrike from the American-led coalition that was targeted to his house because they thought he was a member of ISIS, because they had bad intelligence. And Bassem told us his story so vulnerably, and we're so grateful to him for that. He, he, he says that he's on a crusade of forgiveness and empathy. And I really think that he is accomplishing that. He's going to American universities and he's speaking to ROTC classes and he's trying to educate people who are going to be in the military about these casualties. And I think the power of his story is that he makes the, these, he gives a face to these statistics. But the thing is that we wouldn't have those statistics our statistics are wrong, and Azmat Khan, who cannot be here tonight because she is still reporting the story, she is still in Syria and Iraq and Yemen counting the people who have been, who have been left uncounted. Um, we wouldn't have those statistics because she and her reporting partner, we wouldn't have these statistics if, if Azmat and her reporting partner had not done this work and gone from site to site of American-led airstrikes and counted, interviewed people about what happened here, who was injured, who died, were they members of ISIS, something that the American government has never done. And they came up with a massive number. Um, and she is an amazing reporter. You like, just can't quite, it's, it's so unusual to have someone who is so impeccable with, with detail when it comes to documents and numbers and statistics, and so impeccable with storytelling, and all of that lives in Azmat, and she was such a pleasure to work with on this. Um, I'm so glad we got to do this story on the daily, and this, this award is really a prize for the entire daily team. Every episode of the daily bears the fingerprints of at least half a dozen producers, and this episode is definitely, it's definitely true for this episode, and it is in large part to our brilliant editor, Lisa Tobin, and if you have spoken with Lisa Tobin, if you have worked with Lisa Tobin, you know she is a genius, and she is the brains behind the entire daily. And with this story, there was a moment when we were, when we were making it where we, uh, during the interview with Bossom, where we, a bunch of producers were packed in the studio, which up until last month was just a converted conference room in the New York Times with, with eggshell insulation taped to the walls. And Michael was on the mic and I was sitting across from him and guiding him through the interview. And Bossom was in, in Iraq. And over three hours, he told us this in heart-wrenching detail what happened to him. And there was a moment where um, which is really my favorite piece of tape in the whole story. He tells us the story of going back to the site, to their home and the rubble that's left over. And he finds a shoe, and it's his daughter's shoe. And he tells us with glee, with just joy, of the last time he saw her wearing those shoes. And she was coming down the stairs, and she was wearing makeup for the first time. And she was going to a, she was going to a dance. And Michael couldn't ask questions anymore, and I certainly couldn't produce, and we were just weeping. It was, we were silent. And after several moments of this, 
we suddenly hear from the other end, like, excuse me? <laughs> Are you still there? And we had forgotten that he wasn't in the room with us. And that's, I think, is the power of these stories is that they bring him here when he is so far away. And just so you know, he is very active on social media and would love to hear from you should you want to reach out to him. Um, and I think that the real joy of making these stories is that I, I get to work with reporters like Azmat who uh, are, are making what I consider to be some of the most important stories of our time. And I get to look for these little details with her. And, I get to, and, and we get to bring to life this moment where he talks about uh, falling in love with his wife and they're on a road trip in America. And he's tickling her toes as, as, as they're driving. And that's such a dream for me, to be able to marry those two things together. And the last thing I want to say is that this award is so special for me because Third Coast has meant so much to me. Several years, uh, just a couple years ago, three years ago, I was in medical school still, and I was very, very unhappy, and I was having panic attacks, and I didn't want to be there. And I had this secret dream of being a radio producer, and it was like, it was like sacrilegious, and I didn't know, I didn't really know what I was going to do, and I didn't know how to how to start. And I found the Third Coast Archive. And I listened to so many of those speeches. And suddenly I had teachers like Nancy Updike and Elise Spiegel and, and Marion McEwen and Jada Bumrad. And I, and I felt like there was a way to do this. And so people are listening. And I'm really grateful. without question, Annie's award. Um, so I just want to say that I think a lot of listeners hear a story like this, and they assume that the credit goes to Michael and to the Times reporters who you hear on the show, and they do deserve a lot of credit. But I think everyone in this room knows the stories like this are told and happen because of producers. And this story and the way it was told, the structure, the humanity, the fact that people care about Bossom, you know, the fact that people are paying attention to US-led drone strikes in, in Iraq, um, that is because of Annie Brown. And behind every story on The Daily is a producer like Annie or many, many producers like Annie. And I'm incredibly honored to work on a team that's led and driven by producers. Um, I think, you know, we're the, the producers are historically the unsung heroes, but um, it's a real honor to be on a team that is led by and filled with unbelievable producers. And I just want to say that we're growing that team of producers and we're taking that privilege and that responsibility very seriously. Phoebe, we will email you. Um, anybody else in this room, please reach out to us. Um, we will respond to you. Thank you. Hot Ooh. in here, you guys. Is anyone else sweating? How do you, how do people wear ties? I don't understand. It is the one hardship men have. Next time we do this, move The one. <laughs> Where are we? We are on to the bronze medal for the best documentary, the Adam Rapon of the Third Coast Awards, if you will. <laughs> when police showed up to question John Thompson, he was worried that he had sold drugs to an undercover cop. When he realized they were investigating a murder, he could only laugh. 
Thompson insisted on his innocence, but New Orleans prosecutors wanted a conviction, and he quickly landed on death row. 18 years later, and just weeks from his, before his execution date, Thompson's lawyers discovered that a prosecutor had hidden exculpatory evidence from the defense. A million dollars a year for 14 years, that's a pretty, pretty stiff penalty to, to, have to, to want for the taxpayer to have to pay. It's pretty surprising to hear Connick talk this way about someone that his office had imprisoned for 18 years for two things that he didn't do. But that was not even the most shocking thing he said. He, he killed the son of a, of a friend of mine, as a matter of fact, but a very prominent New Orleanian and a good, generous citizen. Mm. Uh, but uh, he, he killed him? This is Thompson. That's what he was prosecuted and convicted of. Right, but he didn't do it. Who said that? The jury. He was found not guilty later. They really come back and say uh, not guilty. Uh, They don't say that that, uh, he, he was innocent. The judges said that this piece did an exceptional job of painting a picture of a flawed system through one man's experience. The Best Documentary Bronze Award goes to producers Andrew Morantz, Sarah Lustbader, and Catherine Wells, editor David Krasnow, and technical director Louis Mitchell for John Thompson versus American Justice for the New Yorker Radio Hour, a co-production of WNYC Studios and at the New Yorker. I'm not a radio person, so give me a second. Um, as, as a public defender who took on criminal cases in the South Bronx, I felt like I was hit in the face every day by the structural inequities that seemed baked right into our legal system that were depriving my clients of a fair shot every day. And there's one case that went to the Supreme Court that actually seemed to exemplify these particular inequities really well. It was called Connick v. Thompson. And one day I was talking about that case with my husband, Andrew Morantz, who couldn't be here. And he's a reporter. And uh, he said, well, you know Connick, Harry Connick, uh, and John Thompson are, are still alive. We could go report this story. Um, and so that's how the idea of a radio show was born. And the case is about a guy named Harry Connick Sr., who's related to someone else that you might know. Um, and as the district attorney in New Orleans, he did his very best to make sure that a man named John Thompson stayed on death row despite overwhelming evidence of John's innocence. Um, and as we reported out the story um, with Catherine, uh, the, the details of the story were almost literally unbelievable. It was a 
crazy story. There are plot twists. There's like exculpatory evidence. There's a deathbed confession. There's last minute um, stays of execution. Um, and most importantly, there was John, John Thompson, who spoke about the criminal justice system with more wisdom and wit and clarity than anybody I know. Um, and the story worked in part because it was so unbelievable, uh, because it was remarkable and unique in so many ways. But John would be the first to tell you that um, the story is important because of how, how unremarkable and how tragically common his story is and how many hundreds of thousands of men and women and teenagers are sitting in prisons across the country because they face the same inequalities in the system that he did. Um, I don't work as a public defender anymore. I work in policy. And so I'm trying to change that system every day. And as a policy criminal justice person, I could cite for you a thousand statistics and reasons and arguments why these things should change. But it turned out that the best thing that we could do was to give John Thompson a microphone. Thank you. Um, on behalf of the New Yorker Radio Hour and our whole team, I wanted to acknowledge a couple of people who could not be here with us this evening. First and foremost, John Thompson. Um, we were so incredibly honored to be able to bring his story and his insights into a system that had treated him so, so badly um, to, a, to an audience um, and to the world. And that was a great honor for us. Um, a few other people, Andrew Morantz, who is Sara's co-reporter on the story, is at the New Yorker Festival this weekend, um, hosting his own events to audiences probably 10 or 20 times the size of ours. But you know, uh, he's doing great work. And um, uh, Jada Bamrata and Susie Lechtenberg really helped get this project launched and provided really crucial editorial guidance in the reporting phase of it, um, and really helped bring it into the world. On our staff at the New Yorker Radio Hour, um, Louis Mitchell made every second of it sound beautiful and great, and all of you here know how important that is in the telling of an important story. Zach Helfand of the New Yorker's fact-checking staff made sure that every second of it was also accurate, which is equally important. Um, and I want to acknowledge three people who provide um, inspiration and guidance and challenge to all of us in the work that we do every week. Um, Pam McCarthy and David Remnick of The New Yorker, and at WNYC, Emily Botine, who has been the shepherd and steward, yes, um, and godmother of so much great work. If, if Emily Botine has touched you or your work, like raise your hand in this audience. Like, um, so yeah, we've benefited from all those people so much, um, and especially from Sara and Catherine, uh, who has produced some of the finest work that we have done on our program, so thank you. Right there. there, God almost gave it away. All right. <laughs> Our silver winner for best documentary is about a weirdo who refuses to conform to cultural standards. Her mom does not approve. They confront their long-standing differences on a Persian self-help cruise.
My mother does not want me to make this radio story. She doesn't want anyone to hear her voice or to judge her for her accent. Just for the record, who are you? I'm Sharon Mashihi's mommy. Do you have a name? Did you forget my name? <laughs> Why don't you refresh my memory? What's your name? My name is Nahid Mashihi. Great. And mm -hmm. why don't you start by telling me... And if my mother knew the details about myself I plan to share in this radio story, she would especially not want me to make it. And she certainly wouldn't want you to listen. This is the crux of our conflict as mother and daughter. I want to expose everything, and she wants to hide it all away. I don't like to be documented under any circumstances. I don't even like to have my picture taken. I feel like you don't even like to talk to anybody because you don't want them to remember the things that you said. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I convinced my mother to let me record her by insisting that the story isn't really about her. It's about her guru, a guy named Dr. Holoquy. The judges said that when they heard this piece, they were struck by the beautiful writing it was fun and serious, personal and universal. The Best Documentary Bronze Award goes to Sharon Mashihi and editors Bob Carlson and Caitlin Press for Man Kubom, I Am Good for Infectional from KCRW. It also aired on The Heart from PRX's Radiotopia. I'm going to try and be present so that I can enjoy this moment for the rest of my life and not regret that I was absent for it. But uh, I, I wrote stuff down. Uh, yeah, I wrote stuff down and I'm going to read what I wrote, but I, I also feel like I just want to start by saying that I love my mother, I mean, uh, a lot. Um, I love giving acceptance speeches. Um, I give them all the time, <laughs> in my mind. And um, it is an honor to get to speak these words finally out loud. The piece I made is about uh, my relationship with my mother, and a lot of people who've heard the piece have asked me, like, so has she listened? What does she think? Um, and the answer is that uh, she hasn't listened. Um, she has said that she doesn't want to listen because uh, she's afraid that it'll make her feel bad. And if you've heard this story, then you know that that is completely keeping in character for her. <laughs> But this story made it possible to see myself and my mother as like these two people. And I was like stepping out and I wasn't like fighting anymore or resisting anymore because I had to listen to it again and again and again. And I was just like, these two people are trying so hard. Um, and they're trying their best. And coming to that understanding has been like so liberating and has completely transformed my life. Um, 
And so I love the part in the speech where you're like, this is, my, this is what I say to you, radio makers. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I say to you is that the thing that is your greatest pain, the part of your life that feels really, really hard, but just not feels hard, feels like unique to you, um, that maybe feels like a weird problem, a problem that other people don't have, it's so weird. Like, make a radio story about that. Because I learned in making and sharing this story that this really weird problem of being in my 30s and being expected to be a virgin and like not being allowed to be in a relationship and feeling like so close to my parents and also like them knowing nothing about me, that is a problem that it turns out a lot of, a lot of other first-generation Americans have. It's like, I just was like, oh, like it's embarrassing and weird, so none of us talk about it, but it exists. And I think... Um, when you feel isolated inside of a problem, a lot of times it's because that problem is not represented in media. Um, and so, like, make the story about the weird problem, because then it'll be represented in media for other people who feel alone in it. Um, and I also just, like... So it's complicated because my mom really doesn't want to be seen. But I'm like, it's so cool. Like, she, she sounds so different from other people. She, like, she has this, this problem, her problem, which I think is also so relatable. And she's so fucking cool and hilarious and simultaneously like, terrified of being judged. And I feel like we don't get, I don't know, like I've never heard Nahid in a radio story before. And I feel honored to have gotten to represent her and to get to represent her really real fear that like if her children don't conform to these standards that she understands like if I'm not feminine enough and like beautiful enough and following the rules enough that like I'm somehow in danger um and I I don't know I guess like I just maybe a lot of parents have that kind of fear for their children um okay the thank yous I want to thank the Third Coast Radio Residency so, so much. Hello. <laughs> um, I'll just admit that I feel like I'm a loser a lot of the time. And like, you don't, no one needs to tell me later that I'm not a loser. I just happen, like, I feel that way a lot of the time. And I feel not, not legit a lot of the time. And like, Third, the Third Coast Radio Residency was a real feeling of legit, and I, I loved it. I loved getting to go. I loved getting to be with the people there. Thank you to Nishat and to Sarah for your guidance and for, like, the whole crew. I love all of you. Hi, Adisa. <laughs> um, we love you. Thank you. Thanks. Um, so thank you for that. I also want to thank my editors on this story, Bob Carlson at KCRW's Unfictional, who said yes to my pitch, and I have to say, like, pretty much no one ever does, so thank you so much, Bob. Um, and it was, like, so unclear what the story was going to be, and he was cool with it. He's so compassionate. He's so intuitive. Like, we would have these long phone calls, and he would just be like, I think you're really grieving your relationship with your mom. <laughs> um, I think everyone should pitch Unfictional. They take risks. Um, Bob couldn't be here today, but he sent me an actual 
telegram that was delivered to my hotel room by a bellhop <laughs> um, telling me how proud he was of this story. Um, Bob is the kind of man who sends telegrams. Um, I also want to thank Mooj Zaidi, who is one of my dearest friends. And if you don't love Mooj, you should love Mooj. Um, I've been talking to Mooj for years about this particular predicament of being first-generation children of parents who are different from you, who come from that side of the world. Um, and those conversations have been invaluable both to making this story and to understanding my life. I want to thank Phoebe. <laughs> Phoebe, now the thank you is much more complicated because I want to thank you for, I, I like, you're, you're, the speech that you gave was extremely moving and I hope that it instigates change for everyone in this room and I feel that, um, I hope that people felt implicated by it and, um, and, and, and also, Phoebe, thank you for mixing this story. That, <laughs> I want to thank Mo Laborde. Mo and I have a third coast love story. We met here last year. I was her audio doctor. Um, she helped me both plan my remarks for this evening, and she doms me in my everyday life, and she is a brilliant writer. I learned so much from you, Mo. Um, and it actually has changed my life getting to work with you, and Mo is so young, which is so cool. Anyway. Uh, most special thanks of all. Caitlin Prest. Um, I feel like I've already professed my love for Caitlin to the crowd once today, but um, I will do it again. Caitlin was the editor on this story, along with Bob. She is the only one of my friends who is not intimidated by my mother, Nahid. She walks into my parents' house just like talking about her love life and her sex life and just like casually asks my mother if like she's ever had that happen with someone she's in love with. <laughs> and, like, and my mom ordinarily would be so not into a person like Caitlin, but Caitlin has so much compassion for her and she is so fucking real. Nahid cannot resist. <laughs> And I love that so much. And it is that like compassion and understanding of my mom that I think allowed you to give me guidance in the story in the way that you did. I also just want to thank Caitlin for like, you know, a lot of times editors, they're trying to make the story more efficient. So they ask you to kill some of your babies. They're like, this is too idiosyncratic. It's to you. Like, just get to the plot. Um, Caitlin will always be like, don't you dare change that part. Put it back. <laughs> and I love, and I'm so grateful for you for doing that. Um, anyway, and you know, thank you to Third Coast. And uh, if you listen to the story, thank you for taking the time to listen to it. And I love you, Mom, so much. Thanks. God, we've 
made it. We have reached the final award of the evening, the gold award for best documentary of the year. The winner of this year's best documentary gold is not a single story. It is the story of every homicide in Oakland, California for an entire year. This piece offers an intimate introduction to the lives of those lost to Oakland's violence and tells the story of the city and people left behind. Today, tomorrow, Sunday, I'm here. So my plan for 2017, yeah, I'm trying to decrease the homicides. We gotta go under 80, man. Got to. Compared to other cities, Oakland is small. It's like a fifth of the population of Chicago. You can like meet anybody in Oakland and be like, what you love about Oakland? Oakland get turned up. Like they put a smile on your face, like we goofy, we fun, we loving. Like when everything's going good, ain't nobody beefing, ain't nobody funking. You basically got the rich folks living in the hills. Then you got us in the flatlands in East Oakland. And most of the murders, that's where it happened at in deep East Oakland. And for the young people in East Oakland, the town, it starts feeling like smaller and smaller. I would describe my Oakland hurt. Amani is a young person who lives in deep East Oakland. Man, she already lost a lot of her friends, her family, to violence right here. The judges said this piece was raw and intense and surprising and wrestling with life in real time. It's an ambitious program that is executed so well every step of the way, from the reporting to the narration. The emotional range is outstanding, and we want to hear more like this. So before this award is given, we want to say thank you to the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation for supporting the 18th annual Third Coast Richard H. Driehaus Foundation competition. The gold for the best documentary will be presented by Kim Coventry, executive director of the foundation. Please welcome Kim to the stage. I just want to make a, a say a couple of things. We at the Driehaus Foundation, we love these awards. We love the work you're doing. We believe in the value of the stories that you tell. And as long as you keep finding these stories, reporting them, and giving them to us, and helping us understand the human condition, we'll keep funding these awards. So it's a great honor for me to be able to present the Gold Award uh, for the 2018 Richard H. Driehaus uh, competition. Um, the uh, winners are uh, producers Adi Zagan, Anna Sussman, <laughs> Shana Shahidi, Jonathan Jones, co-producers Pat Masiti, Nancy uh, Miller, Pat Masiti Miller, Nancy Lopez, Jasmine Aguala, Aliza Smith, and Pendravis Harshaw. 
editors Anna Sussman and Mark Ritzditch, sound design by Pat Mahesi Miller, Leon Morimoto, and Renzo Gorio, and executive producer Glenn Washington for. tricky, right? Because everyone at this festival has done work that deserves an award. I'm really grateful to be here because everyone here is doing this work that takes voices. You can probably hear a lot of emotion in my voice right now. Um, and you all take voices and music and weave them together to make meaning in this world. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you do that. And I'm sure that everyone in this room has had the experience of taking a really exciting idea to an editor and hearing them say, that's not a story. Um, and there were a lot of reasons that this piece wasn't a story. We had really smart editors tell us, that's just, they would say that's just, right? Uh, that's just gonna be a series of obituaries of young black men. We had smart editors tell us that. We had the Alameda, someone from the Alameda County Coroner's Office tell us, uh, that stories of the same man who we get in the coroner's office over and over again, who deserves to die. We had them tell us that. It's not a story. So there are lots of reasons this wasn't a story. But what happened was that this family came together. Um, <laughs> after, after Philando Castile was murdered, and we thought of all the ways we could to tell stories that showed how black lives matter. And, yeah. Uh, these people came up with a, a lot of amazing ideas, and this was one of those ideas. And there was a lot of reasons this idea wouldn't work. Um, but we, were, we wanted to give it a try. And for that, I really want to thank Mark Ristich and Glenn Washington. Um, uh, Glenn Washington is a man who really loves Oakland, um, and it was a big leap of faith for him to trust us to tell a hard story about a beautiful city that he loves. So thank you for that. I know that. Um, and Mark Ristich, thank you for putting so many, Mark, thank you for putting so many hours and hours and hours and ideas um, into making this work. So. Thing I want to say to the producers in the room is that if you have this idea that you love, this idea that matters, that people tell you is not a story, please keep doing it 
please keep doing it. Um, thanks. Uh, my thank yous are first and foremost to the victims' families who spoke with us. And think of it, they spoke with us really soon after their person was was murdered, right? In this in the same year, really soon. So they opened their hearts and their voices to us, and they're the ones we need to thank first and foremost. Um, I want to thank my husband, who was a huge part of this story, but because he's the most feminist man in the world right now, he's home with our kids. So thank you. Thank you, Jonathan Jones. Uh, I want to thank my parents, who the first time I came home from a soup kitchen, really proud of myself for helping people with less privilege than I had, kind of yanked me aside and read me this quote, um, which said, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come here because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Uh, and that's what we try to do at SNAP. Uh, I want to thank Pank Miss, Pat Missidi Miller because <laughs> everything that man touches turns beautiful. Um, but mostly I want to thank Adiza Egan for putting the care into making this a story. much. Uh, this, is, this is an honor, I think. You know, I wanted to do this story because I wanted to tell the stories of the people who lost their lives in Oakland, and I wanted to tell a beautiful story, and um, I wanted to get it right. And so I really am thankful um, to the people who let us into their homes and who trusted us with um, the stories of their sons and of their brothers and um, with their pictures and everything. And I'm just really grateful to them. And I also want to thank the team at SNAP. There were a ton of producers on this project and it didn't start out like really clear and concrete. It was a fucking mess. And we were producing a weekly show. So first off, I, I also want to thank like Liz Mack. She's a producer at SNAP and she held down the fort while we were working on the story, while we were like running around Oakland. Um, I want to thank, hold on, sorry, I'm just getting my names up here. Um, Jonathan Jones for the idea. Thank you, Anna, for the writing, the editing, the support. Thank you, Mark, as well. Thank you to Shayna Sheely, who came in um, when we were halfway through this project. She came in and she killed it. We were all ran ragged and she came in and she just was like, boop, 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 boop. And she did the last few interviews and I'm really grateful for her. Um, thank you to Pat and C.D. Miller for holding it down, for ideating and to just being in the studio and helping me, okay, run it back, do it again. Let's do it, this doesn't feel right. Let's do it again. Um, thank you to uh, Jasmine Aguilera, Eliza Smith, Nancy Lopez, Pendarvis Harshaw and Daryl Allums for um, letting us come on this journey. Daryl couldn't come here today and, because he continues to do the work and um, he actually had a seizure and so he couldn't make it on the plane. And so um, I just, you know, I really want to thank him because he was a huge part of this project. Uh, and then also I just want to say 
Um, to all the people who Phoebe mentioned on, on that list and to all the other POC producers in the room, I can't wait until we run shit and it's like next year, like we're about to do this. Editors, networks, managers, I'm so excited. <laughs> and I wanna speak to, um, just from personal experience to the few to the few black producers in the room, there's something I've been thinking about a lot as I've been working on this story. And um, I just want to say, I think these stories are necessary and these stories of pain and trauma are necessary, but it's hard to continue doing this work. And I just want to invite you on this quest to like understand how to tell stories of black joy that hit the same note that stories like this do. So please, if you're interested, hit me up. Let's think about this together. And also, um, let's continue to reach our arms back and make way for everybody else to come and do this work too, because there's so many other people who deserve to be on this stage. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Um, Third Coast, thank you again so much. As you can see, I have not only the best team in radio, but the best-looking team in radio. I want to thank um, my partner, of course, Mark Ristich, and um, and uh, I think that what, what this is what I really want to do. <laughs> Phoebe, you have properly called some folks out tonight, and I appreciate it. It was proper, it was well done, it was correct. And if you're feeling a little blowback, you should. But I wanna thank some of the good white folks. Cause you're here. Some of you are here right now. Some of you are busy trying to build a way to get other people's story on the radio. And I just want to let you know I see you. And the fact of the matter is, I work with some of you. Um, my partner, Mark Ristich, has never, ever, ever shied away from taking on a story from a person of color, from someone who is in a disadvantaged position, from a female. I like, and I want to say this. When you look at our staff, these are females who are telling these stories, largely. And we appreciate it, and I appreciate Mark for saying, we're gonna get out of the way sometimes. Um, Anna Sussman, as our lead producer. <laughs> she's always tried to make space for stories that need to be told that aren't being told anywhere else, and I appreciate that. Um, this whole group, from our sound designers, from our Adiza, who just led this episode, I just want to say that when you, when, um, like Phoebe had said earlier, when you say that there aren't people of color available to do these things, it's a lie. It's a lie from the depths of hell, and I think that our staff is proving it every single day. And um, thank you, Daryl, for putting it, your heart where your advocacy is. 
and to the families of the people who are lost, we can't say enough for opening your hearts and letting us tell your stories for this for some of the most painful moments of your lives. Um, we thank you, and we thank Third Coast for recognizing how hard it was for them to make that journey. Thank you. It is almost time to party. <laughs> some quick housekeeping. On the Third Coast website, you can listen to all the pieces that won tonight. I am Tobin Lowe. I am Kathy Tu. Give it up again for the Gumbo Contrarians. Have a good night. Good night. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Third Coast Pocket Conference. You can find a full transcript, thanks to Descript, by visiting our website or by clicking the link in the show notes. If you haven't already signed up for producer news, go to thirdcoastfestival.org and click on the newsletter button at the bottom of the page. We'll have weekly updates, resources, and more. Seriously, you won't want to miss these. The Third Coast Pocket Conference is produced by me, Isabel Vasquez. The executive director of Third Coast is Johanna Zorn. And Third Coast is also Maya Goldberg-Safer, Emily Kennedy, Gwen Maxi, and Rebecca Silverman. We'll be back next week with another session from the 2018 Third Coast Conference. But in the meantime, you can always check out the extensive library of audio stories on our website. Or download our other podcast, ReSound. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.